Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Train and railroad imagery is an important part of Lucas Hanneman's band, the Lucas Hanneman Express. Their three albums all feature railroad-inspired titles, including Welcome Aboard, Tearing Up the Rails, and Catch the Westbound. I think the train metaphor perfectly describes Hanneman himself. Through hard work, he has been laying down the tracks that allow him to move from one career highlight to another, winning multiple awards along the way, and working with some impressive people at each stop. As a legally blind musician, he's had to rely more on his other senses, which as a musician can actually be a real advantage as we discuss in this interview. As a bonus for today's episode, Lucas has provided a song called Quarantine Road, which I'll feature at the end of the show. So, if you're ready, let's climb aboard and meet Lucas Hanneman. Welcome to the Stewie Tune Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your host, Tony Stewart. Hi, Lucas. Thanks very much for joining the show today. I really appreciate you giving up your time. It's a great pleasure to be here, Tony. So I'm here with Lucas Hanneman of the Lucas Hanneman Express. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to start the interview today actually talking about the Express. Um, So you started that group in 2014 and you've had three albums so far. There were a couple of really cool things I noticed about those albums. Uh, I wanted to talk for a minute about Tearing Up the Rails from 2016. So you went down to Sun Studio in Memphis and worked down there. Like, that's amazing. So would you be able to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the Express has been together since 2014. And uh, we've had the chance to go down to Memphis, Tennessee, among a few other places, a couple of times, actually. Most recently, my wife Megan and I went down to compete there uh, this year, 2020, in the solo duo category during our acoustic act. Uh, But in 2016, the full band was down there, and uh, we were competing at the International Blues Challenge, which they have there in Memphis, Tennessee, um, against about 255 other bands from all across the country, (laughs) which is a pretty amazing experience. Um, So we were down there for that purpose. Uh, You know, uh, that particular year, we, we made the semifinals, so we made the top 44 bands, we were told that we were actually really close to making the top 10, which was a pretty amazing thing, uh, but that we just weren't quite traditional enough for the for the purists, you know, for what they were looking for. But uh, all that being said, uh, we had a fantastic time down there that, 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 that first time. And uh, one of the things that we did was we took a tour of Sun Studios, which is the legendary studio where B.B. King did some of his uh, great recordings, Elvis Presley did yeah. his first recordings, you know, so many amazing musicians there, Roy Orbison, uh, Johnny Cash did, you know, some of his first recordings there too. I mean, just a plethora of great artists. And as part of this tour, uh, they said um, that artists can, if given the right opportunity, actually record there still and they still have some of the original gear that sam phillips put in the studio back in the 1950s oh no um, way. and yeah and it was kind of a funny thing because that was just a little piece of the tour and it kind of went in one ear and out the other because i was i was kind of in competition mode i was thinking about the, the show that we had to do that night and then at the end of uh, the tour uh jeff our drummer at the time jeff aslan said to me he came over and he said hey they just mentioned that people can record here. You know, I know that we're working on stuff for our new album. How about we try to book it? And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. How about that? You know, that's a great idea. So 
So we sent an email to the, uh, the guy who was doing the engineering there. And he said, you know, usually I don't take bands on short notice, but I like what you guys are doing. So how about this? Can you come this night? And uh, the night that he suggested was the, the night right before we were flying away, you know, back home to Ottawa. So it was perfect timing. Oh, that's and awesome. So, yeah, so we, we got into the studio at about 8 p.m., set up uh, and recorded three songs live off the floor in the span of about three or four hours. I mean, we were there until about two in the morning because we had to get our, uh, you know, our stems, our, 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 our files so we could come home and, and mix them. Um, and so that became the beginning of Tearing Up the Rails as an album. And then we recorded about uh, 11 other tracks here at home in Ottawa at Gallery Studios in, in Ottawa with Dean Watson. So it was a really amazing experience to be there. I mean, just to, just to be in that room where so much legendary stuff happened, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah, for sure. That's on my list because I've been to Nashville, but I've never been to Memphis. So that's for sure on my list to get down there. Uh, and then in 2019, uh, you guys did Catch the Westbound. And that achieved some chart success, and I'm, uh, it was a Canadian top five blues release. So maybe, do you want to talk about that? Because that's uh, also quite an accomplishment. Yeah, so for Cash the West Band, we were thinking, you know, what can we do that's different? Um, and we had actually started to record that album at our home studios. Uh, we'd been building up our, our arsenal of, of home studio, you know, uh, uh, artillery so, so to speak or whatever we, you know we, we had we get, getting some nice microphones decent recording software etc because you no know, these days everyone can do everything at home and so that's we started to record it um and i actually uh, i i i i put uh tearing up the rails in the hands of a guy who i know from town here who's an entertainment lawyer and he was going down to canadian music week in 2018 he said yeah how about you give me a couple copies of your album and i'll, I'll shop them around to people and I kind of thought, well, it's Canadian Music Week. I don't know if anything's going to come out of this because, you know, from my experience with that, it's just like a really oversaturated thing. Uh, there's a lot of great bands. There's so many great bands at this event. And we weren't even at the event. But uh, sure enough, the guy who I put the albums, uh, I put the, you know, the album in, in his hands, he's a good talker. Uh, and he met a guy from New York City who, uh, you know, is a manager type person. And he um, had this guy who works for him from Canada, who's a, a mixing engineer and a producer named Brian Monkars. And he's done work for like the Tea Party, Our Lady Peace, uh, The Trues, a whole bunch of great bands. And uh, so anyways, long story short, the demo that we had got into the hands of Brian and, and he loved it. And uh, he said that he wanted to work for, for uh, you know, with us. And so, uh, the amazing thing about that album was that you know we recorded it at our home studios but we had it mixed by this guy who's like a top tier engineer in toronto uh and it came out just being i think the best sounding album we've ever done so far and uh partially i think because of you know the, the production on it um it did receive some some success for sure uh, we made the top five on the canadian roots music report so it was really cool that you know seeing our name above uh, it was Michael Bublé and uh, Alicia Cara. They, they were behind us that, that, that particular week. So that was pretty amazing. Wow. <laughs> so it was a pretty big honor, you know. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we, you know, we uh, also thanks to Sarah French, who, who is a, um, a publicist from Toronto. Uh, she does a lot with the blues scene. So she, she got the album all over the world. So we had many, many, many favorable reviews as well from all over the world for that album. So we're really proud of what we've done with it so far. 
For sure. And uh, I love stories like that. You know, those kind of stories where you'd think nothing's going to come of it. And all of a sudden, you know, it turns out to be this amazing thing. So congratulations. Thanks. Um, Thanks so much. Um, can you tell me about the lineup of the, um, of the uh, Lucas Hanneman Express? I actually know Jeff from a long time ago, actually. So... Yeah, well, Jeff isn't in the band anymore. He had to leave uh, last year, um, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, because he's got a really busy teaching schedule and a bunch of other things going on. But uh, we have a new drummer in the band. Uh, he's been in the band for about a year now, actually, named Val Nehavara. Uh, and oh. he's the guy who you see in the in the music video for Miss McGrim, actually. Um, oh, okay. So, and the amazing part about that was he had just joined the band, and, and I said to him, uh, I'm going to have to get you to come do a video shoot with us. And it might be a little bit weird, a little bit out of your comfort zone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it was kind of like the true test. Like, is this guy, you know, going to be able to to to, to hang with us? <laughs> and, he, and he really rose to the occasion, you know. Um, so so Val is actually a recent uh, immigrant from the Ukraine. Um, he came, into, came to Ottawa about two or three years ago now. And he is just one of the best drummers I've ever met in my life. Such an amazing, amazing player. Uh, in a range of styles, but he is such a lover of music, and uh, you know he he really um, he really loves the the music, and he really loves the band, and that really uh, you know just warms my heart. So so he's just such an amazing musician and such a nice person. So it's great to have him uh, as the newest member uh, of our our wild train uh, here, and uh, and then my wife uh, Megan Lawrence joined the band in 2015. Uh, and uh, she's been in the band ever since. And actually, she's been featured more and more in the band ever since as well as a lead vocalist, because she is hands down the best vocalist in the band. I mean, I, I, I took up singing at the beginning of, of my time in the Express, and I've come a long way since then, but she's been singing since, you know, she can barely walk. <laughs> so, so she's amazing. Um, and, uh, and Martin Newman, long-suffering bass player, backup vocalist. Uh, builder of, of pedals and amps. I mean, he's just an amazing musician and such a, an amazing mind, musical mind. And he, he, he's, uh, you know, he, he's stuck with me through uh, the thick and the thin, you know, so he, he's just been amazing. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm just so grateful to have such a, a wonderful group of people around. It really makes all the difference. Well, yeah, for sure. When you listen to uh, your albums, I mean, the, the band is tight and I really love uh, the two vocalists, like the you know the the contrast but the fact that you guys blend so well together so it's an excellent sound um thank you so much so uh we have a connection which uh we both know a gentleman named rick denis rick is my musical partner in the somerset combo and uh, before the shutdown yeah. here we were uh, gigging constantly but uh rick yeah. says hi so uh, do you want to uh, just uh, in case rick is listening i'd like to hear uh how you know him uh, I mean, I know, I know Rick. I mean, he's he's a he's a staple on on the local jazz scene for sure. He's just an amazing musician, and our our paths have crossed many times. Um, you know, there's a lot of great musicians around here, uh, and we've met at at many a, a jam session. I think we've even done some gigs together, if memory serves me well. Um, but he's just an amazing, amazing, amazing talent, amazing musician for sure. And so, hello, Rick. It's great to. It's great to, uh, you know, virtually say hello to you <laughs> as we as we all are in, in this uh, in this quarantine time. Right. Yeah. He was telling me a story uh, that when you were really young, like you were just a kid, uh, you know, hanging yeah. out at uh, SRC Music and uh, they did a commercial or something. And he thinks he's he, if he remembers correctly, he may have been in a commercial with you way back when, when you were just a kid. So that. OK, so that's interesting. So, Rick. 
yeah so uh, that was the first time i met rick so I, I actually forgot about that until right now that the first time we met but um yeah in i don't know what year that would have been um but anyways i think i, I would have been about 11 or 12 years old he uh, I, I was in src music uh, with my grandfather who, who also was a player you know fiddle player guitar player uh, and my father, and you know, just trying guitars as I often loved and still love to do when I get the chance to. Um, and and so and and all of a sudden there was like a, a film crew in the store, and they said, "Oh, you, uh, oh yeah, we're shooting a commercial here today." And I guess I guess Rick liked my playing or something, and he said, "Hey, do you want to be in a in a in a commercial?" So I think <laughs> if I remember correctly, yeah, this is really jogging my memory. But if I remember correctly, I think it was something like Rick was 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 teaching me a lesson on the guitar or something like that in this commercial. I mean, I haven't seen it for years and years and years, but, uh, but I think, yeah, there was something like he was handing me a guitar and talking about it or teaching me something or something of, do, do you know the specifics? Uh, no, no. He just briefly mentioned it to me the other day. He was pretty excited though, that I was interviewing you. So he wanted right, to make right. sure so, that. Yeah, but but I think, yeah, I think he was giving me a guitar lesson or something like that. It was, or handing me an instrument and I was assessing it or something like that yeah. as, a, as a satisfied customer. You know? <laughs> well, now I'll have to go on a mission and see if I can find that commercial. That would be uh, pretty awesome. Um, so I wanted to talk about your videos. We, uh, you touched on it briefly. I love your videos for the, uh, the uh, Lucas Hanneman Express. Two in particular, which I... I you know, we were chatting uh, via Facebook yesterday, and I told you, Ms. McGrim uh, made, I'll put links to these in the show notes too, because uh, Ms. McGrim made me laugh out loud. It was pretty funny. And uh, the verdict, and I love how, you know, the way that you're playing characters uh, in those um, videos, but who, uh, who's the creative force behind, like who comes up with the ideas for those? Because they're, they're pretty neat. So the music video that we did for the verdict was done with one of my best friends uh, who I've had, you know, since I was about 12 years old, actually in grade seven, Neville Carney, who's just an amazing guy all around, super, super nice person. And uh, he actually studied film uh, at, uh, at Humber College. And for a while he was doing work, work with the Discovery Channel. Uh, these days he's doing different work. Uh, he's kind of moved away from the film thing slightly, but he still does it, you know, part time. But uh, he is just an amazing uh, director. Lots of the ideas were his, and we kind of sat down uh, for that one, the whole band, and we had like a like we did like a storyboard for the video. And of course, yeah, I mean, our whole thing is we don't take ourselves seriously at all. I mean, you know, going back to the beginning of music videos, when you think about the Beatles and all those videos that they did, like Help and all those all those great hilarious videos, you know, it, yeah. you know, like to me, I, I think the best music videos, especially if the song's not serious, like they've got to have some humor. Um, and yeah, we, we definitely, you know, it, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, when you met us, when you meet us, you don't know that we're as goofy as we can be, but we certainly have like the, the funniest, uh, you know, we have the, you know, the, the most enjoyable, funniest conversations, you know, so, so yeah, so, so, uh, so that video was, was a, a really fun one to make um, with Neville, and then the most recent one for Miss McGram off the Catch the Westbound album, it was uh, actually directed by these two guys, Darcy DeToni, who uh, is a guy who I know who works at uh, a local TV station, I shouldn't say local, they're actually uh, national called AMI, which is an accessible media uh, incorporated TV station. So they, they, they do stuff, and I and I've I've done stuff with them before. And Darcy's a, a good friend of mine and a, a great guy. Uh, so it was him and and his friend uh, Jim Devlin, uh, who's uh, also from Ottawa. So, 
uh, I approached Darcy because he did the video with us way back, uh, right at the beginning of the Express for our song called Bring It Back off our Welcome Aboard album, which was hilarious. Um, and we shot that one at, at Greenfield's Pub, a local, local place here, as well as the, you know, the place where I was living at the time. Um, but uh, for this new one, you know, Darcy and, and Jim were, they were certainly game to do it again. And I can't take any creative credit for it. All, you know, for, for that video, basically Darcy and Jim got together and had all the, all the ideas. And they, he kind of ran them by us. And, and we said, yeah, we'll do whatever you want, Darcy, because we trust you. <laughs> and, uh, and certainly, yeah, like it, it was, it's got this kind of vigilante thing going on. And uh, it's, it's hilarious. We had such a, such a fun time making that video. And as I say, it was right. Right, as, as like I think it was the week that, that Val joined the band, so he, he, he went along with our, our crazy shenanigans, and, and yeah, it's it's been uh, been a lot of fun to to see that video get some traction as well. And uh, actually, earlier this year, before the world shut down, we we uh, were very lucky to receive this uh, this award called a, a Cobalt a Cobalt Prize at the Maple Blues Awards in Toronto, which is kind of like the the blues equivalent to the Junos. Um, uh -huh. So we got a, a, a video award for that, for that oh. song. So we're grateful for that. Yeah. Congratulations. No, it's a great one. And I encourage anyone out there, uh, Miss McGrim, like I told you, I made me laugh out loud. It was terrific. And it's a fantastic <laughs> song as well. So uh, Lucas, we're going to take a short break. Um, this is my music history moment break and we'll be right back. So I'll be right back with Lucas Hanneman from the Lucas Hanneman Express. On August 17, 1959, American jazz trumpet player Miles Davis released his seminal album, Kind of Blue, which is not only the best-selling jazz album of all time, but is also regarded by many critics as the greatest jazz album to ever be released. With this record, Davis helped steer jazz in a completely new direction, away from bebop, allowing for more breathing room during solos and more room for self-expression. The influence of Kind of Blue on all kinds of music, including jazz, rock, and even classical, has been enormous. Listed by many as the one album they would like to have if they could only choose one, Kind of Blue remains influential to this day. And now, back to the show. Okay, I'm back with Lucas Hanneman from the Lucas Hanneman Express. Uh, Lucas, so you, uh, if I'm correct, have been uh, legally blind, right? For, uh, has it been since birth? Yeah, yeah, since birth. And in fact, when I was born, um, I was born prematurely because my, my mom's appendix burst. So I was born about two and a half months early, actually. Um, so um, I was born with no vision at all, uh, two completely detached retinas. Uh, and at the time, there was some experimental surgery called open sky surgery. Um, I was actually born in the States. Uh, I was born in, in Connecticut. Uh, so they, they sent me off to Boston to the uh, Eye Institute there to get some experimental surgery called open sky surgery, where they basically partially reattach your retina. Now at the time, the surgery was too experimental to try it on, on both of my eyes, because my, my immune system was pretty weak as it was. Um, my lungs were collapsed. I was living in, in an incubator for the first six months of my life. Um, so they, they said, okay, well, we can do the surgery on one eye, uh, and they did. So my right eye uh, actually has about 10% vision uh, and it's tunnel vision but it's enough to you know if I get really close to things I can kind of see what they look like and um, people always ask me you know what's your vision like and I say uh, it's fine because because to me to me I, I know nothing else but I'm sure it's extremely blurry um, and uh, you know this is why I can't drive a car legally uh, but uh, <laughs> but for me it, it, it certainly is something that um, 
yeah, I've never really let it get me down. Uh, and in fact, I remember, you know, as a kid, uh, as, as is often the case, when I was young, I, I had, you know, bullying issues or whatever when I was really, really young because I didn't see very well. But uh, I remember right when I was going into grade seven, I was on a walk with my dad. Uh, we were walking the dog together. I think it was my dad and my mom. And, uh, and I said, you know what, uh, starting right now, I'm going to turn everything around and I'm, and I'm, I'm just going to be as normal as I possibly can be. And I'm going to try to be perceived as, as normal as I can be by everybody else. And at that very second, things changed completely. And, and even, you know, so throughout junior high school and high school, I was actually a fairly popular kid in school and, and no one really thought about me, at least to my knowledge, as being someone who was visually impaired. They just thought of me as being a, a normal person, uh, you know, so who so happened to play the guitar and whatever, you know, so, uh -huh. so, uh, you know, um, I've never really let it get me down. No, absolutely. And in fact, I remember seeing uh, a CBC interview where, uh, with you where you said, you know, the fact that you can't rely on your vision to make music, and I totally agree with this, by the way, uh, the fact that you can't rely on your vision to make music, you know, meant is almost an advantage for a musician because our ears are our primary tool. And, you know, I often think in our uh, system uh, of education here in North America, we rely far too much on vision and not enough on, on hearing. And, you know, we both play jazz and we know how important listening is more than anything. And I'll let you talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, people you know i've had that that thing happen you know you're you're playing at a bar or a club and some drunk guy comes up to you you know how do you play it if you, if you can't see the neck of the guitar you know and i'm just like well i just do it i don't think about it and they're like whoa that's crazy you know <laughs> or whatever <laughs> but like you know yeah for sure but that happened many times and i always find it hilarious uh because you know think about it this way with a guitar you're pressing down metal onto a piece of wood with metal bars it, it couldn't get much more tactile than that, you know. That's right. Um, that's that's my whole thing, um, and yeah, I mean, especially if you're playing organic forms of music uh, that that are certainly more improvise improvisational uh, types of music. I think that not being able to see or not looking at your instrument gives you a real advantage. Because you can actually get into the sound that you're putting out of the instrument, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, you know what it looks like um, when you're playing. So, I mean, and the funny thing for me is that I started playing when I was six years old, and I did a lot of ear training. I mean, I didn't even know what I, I was doing it when I was young, but uh, I really fell in love with this this uh, well, quite a few albums, but. One of them that really stood out was uh, this uh, Unplugged album by Eric Clapton, which, which came out in the early 90s. And uh, I really love this album. I think I got a copy of it when I was six years old on cassette tape. Um, and I wore it out, so my parents had to get me another copy. And I'd sit there with my guitar, uh, and I'd, you know, I'd tune up um, to the record, to the, to the, to the, not the record, to the, to the, to the tape or to the CD, depending on which one I was listening to. And I, I, I try to play along without even knowing what the chords were that they were playing on that album. I, I think I learned the whole thing by ear by the time I was about eight or nine years old, um, you know, excluding the solos, cause that took me a little while longer. But, um, you know, I had a, a, a slew of great guitar teachers who, really valued me using my ears. Um, I studied with this woman named June when I was very young for about a year. And then for a long period of time, I, I moved on to Wayne Eagles, who I think you probably know. He's a great local uh, jazz guitar player, fusion mm -hmm. guitar player. 
And uh, Wayne taught me from the time I was nine until I was 19. And we dug deep into all kinds of music. We, we, you know, we started off with blues and then we got into classic rock and he taught me all the, the great, you know, Led Zeppelin and Beatles riffs, you know, and, and then he taught me guitar solos by, you know, Jeff Beck and uh, uh, like a slew of amazing guitar players, Mike Stern. Uh, we got into the jazz thing when I was about 12, you know. Uh, so then we got into John Schofield and then we got into Wes Montgomery and Grant Green and uh, we even got into country music and uh, he had a friend of his come over and teach me a whole bunch of country stuff uh, a few points and and uh, you know I, I just loved good music and I've always loved good music and uh, because of the way that Wayne taught me, um, you know, he, he like we we record the, the lessons on, on tape at the time. Uh, and then I'd go home and I'd, I'd put them on my tape machine and I'd, I'd, I'd listen and I'd hit stop and I'd listen back. And, I'd, you know, so for me, music has always been uh, an auditory thing. Um, and that's probably why I went and studied jazz as well, because I mean, you know, you can't get much more uh, into, uh, you know, auditory using your ears than, than jazz music, in my opinion, because it's, it's all about listening uh, and it's all about reacting uh, to what you're hearing. So I went to Concordia University um, and studied with Roddy Elias, who is actually from Ottawa, an amazing guitar player, but he was commuting at that time between Ottawa and Montreal three days a week, believe it or not, back and forth, which wow. is crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was, he was like exhausted all the time, but, 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 <laughs> uh, but it was, it was just amazing, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's a heck of a, a brilliant musician and he, he, he got me even deeper into harmony and listening to all kinds of stuff. And after I finished university, you know, I really started to find my voice and I've continued to, to do everything by ear. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll do shows where I've got to back up a whole bunch of vocalists, that kind of thing, like almost like a recital type show where I have to learn like 40 songs by ear and sometimes even take like a Frank Sinatra arrangement and put it into a solo guitar arrangement, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so I, I, I've always used my ears and now I pride myself on it because I think it's something that makes me unique. Uh, so I, I make sure that my students all have really good ears too. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, to me, there's, uh, I'm sorry for the long-winded answer here. But, no, but, no, yeah, that's, I, that's great. But I, I just think that it's, it's a great thing. And, and now, you know, I've gotten really deep into the blues thing too. And, and, you know, if you, if you, if you go back in, 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 in the history of blues and listen to all these great guitar players, if you watch, you know, in, interviews with them, it, it really is a folkloric language, blues music too, and, and any kind of roots music as well as, as jazz it's all about you know learning from a from from a from a recording and and doing your own thing with it you know so um yeah sorry for the long-winded answer but that's that's yeah to me it's it like i i'd have it no other way to be honest <laughs> yeah no i think it's a it's a total advantage when you have when you're forced to use years like that i mean there's nothing better there really isn't i taught uh a senior level jazz class at the high school. And I'm, I know the kids told me after they said it was like the best thing they'd ever done, you know, just because it forced them to leave their comfort zone and, and uh, really start listening to themselves. And that's so key as performers. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I've done things before where I've gone and done like a, you know, a, a masterclass type thing at a high school for a guitar uh, class or, or things like that. And, and yeah, like my, that's my whole thing too. It's like, you got to use your ears and, and like lots of these people are into you know, rock music and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, 
if you want to really learn it and like get into the technique and the tone and how to get the sound out of your instrument and you know like on the guitar it's like like what pickup are they using you know what kind of amp are they plugged into what kind of pick does it sound like they're using you know um are are they you know are they playing with heavier light gauge strings you know like like you can actually kind of hear these things when people play and and you know so to me it's you know for the guitar uh it really is kind of the way to go and, you know unless i was playing like classical music um I, i've even, i've tried to learn some classical music by ear which is very difficult like i know roddy taught me some some of the bach uh pieces that have been you know trans transcribed over to, to guitar uh and that's very difficult like i really had to learn like eight bars at a time and memorize it you know mm -hmm. that kind of thing uh but uh but yeah it's a good exercise though <laughs> that's for sure but uh but you know um yeah, I mean, for, for the type of music I'm into, especially now, you know, uh, it's really uh, it's really the, the way to go, I think. Excellent. So you're uh, in the last few years. I mean, your your career has really taken taken off, and uh, you've performed all over the place. I mean, you've performed in England, and you've performed all across uh, North America. I, I was maybe hoping you could uh, tell everyone who's listening about a couple of career highlights or awards that you might be the most proud of, or you know. Uh, maybe the neatest collaborations you've done or anything like that? Well, yeah, I've certainly been fortunate. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I don't always see the progress as it happens. In fact, I, I, I tend to always feel like there's not enough going on, you know, and, and my wife always talks me back into, you know, well, look, you know, you've done this and that and that, you know, so I, I, I always want more, you know, that that's my whole thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I've had some great experiences with the Express, like, you know, I, I did have the chance to perform over in England, uh, which was amazing. That was more of a solo situation, uh, a little bit with Megan. Um, Megan and I have traveled down to the States to perform a bit too. We performed down in Florida a couple of times. Uh, and yeah, now in Memphis twice, um, which is great. And, uh, you know, just some of the festivals that we've played at too have been amazing. Um, even smaller festivals, like we, we did this, this great festival uh, a few years back uh, called the Donnacona Festival, which is in Quebec. And um, there was this band from Australia playing after us. And there was this guy kind of lurking, lurking, lurking in the back shadows, you know, of, of this tent. And there was a thunderstorm going on around the tent. And, and it was kind of a funny situation. No one knew who this guy was. He was very, you know, unassuming, very quiet. And, and then all of a sudden the guy uh, on stage said, hey, have you guys ever heard of the E Street Band, you know, Bruce Springsteen? And people were like, uh, yeah. And they were like, well, we're going to bring up the saxophone player now. So, oh my God. so all of a sudden this, this guy from, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, Clemens, well, because he passed away, right? So it's, yeah. it's his uh, nephew, I think. Um, yeah, his so, nephew. So, so he, he got up on stage and just tore it, tore it down, you know. And so at, at this, you know, relatively small festival, you know, so some, sometimes moments like that, you know, you'll never forget. But we've had the chance to uh, share the bill with quite a few great artists. We've been very blessed. Um, a couple of the highlights being the, the John Butler Trio from Australia, uh, Robert Cray, we had the chance to play with him, which was just amazing. Um, mm -hmm. That was at the Algonquin Theater. And then I guess the big one, uh, I shouldn't say I guess, the, the biggest one so far, which really for me was an amazing moment, was when we had the chance to open for the Dave Matthews Band at the wow. Ottawa Blues Festival. And for me, that was a crazy moment because, you know, I was talking earlier about learning so much by ear. Well, when I was in high school, right at the beginning of high school, I had a friend uh, who I used to play with in a rock band, and he got me kind of hooked on Dave Matthews. And I learned so many of those songs by ear, almost all of them, I think, you know, off of all their albums. And uh, certainly shaped a big part of my acoustic guitar playing, uh, listening to Dave. And um, 
So one of the most amazing things was uh, Megan and I were walking around backstage and she looked over and she said, I think that's Dave Matthews over there talking to Mark Monahan. And I was like, uh, let's go over and talk to him. He's right there. <laughs> so he did. And, uh, and yeah, and he was like the nicest guy in the world. And he even watched part of our, our, our set from the side of the stage, which was just a, an amazing thing. So, uh, so yeah, he, he, you know, he was such a friendly guy and, you know, for a billionaire, uh, like one of the richest guys in the world, he was like the most unassuming, most friendly person I've ever met in my life. You felt like you were just talking to a, a really nice neighbor, you know? <laughs> so, so, so he was a really, uh, that was a hoot, you know, and that's such a nice thing. And yeah, I mean, I had the chance to get to know Jeff Healy before he passed away and uh, had the chance to open for him and go to his house and, uh, you know, uh, just an amazing uh, experience as well. Uh, I've gotten to know the Canadian guitar player, Don Ross, a little bit. He's, he's an amazing uh, person as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been certainly blessed over, over these many years I've been doing this. And, uh, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more grateful. Well, that's excellent. So like uh, musicians everywhere, you know, uh, we've all had to uh, see our performances uh, come to a grinding halt with uh, quarantine. <laughs> and uh, you shared a song with me that you, uh, that, you know, once the interview's over, um, when I put the episode together, we're going to put that song on afterwards. And it's called the Quarantine Road Song. Um, and maybe I thought, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I never stopped creating music uh, at this point actually for the express we're about 11 songs in towards our next album that we're going to well we were going to start recording already but uh, because of the, the, the unfortunate pandemic that the world is going through we had to put that on halt uh, but we will start eventually um, but one of the tunes I wrote uh, right at the beginning of, of uh, quarantine uh, was this song called Quarantine Road and um, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, usually when the band releases something, it's going to be, it's, it's all of us playing and we multi-track it or, or whatever. But on this particular recording, because of the fact that, um, you know, no one else except for Megan and I are, are really in a position to, to record our, our parts at home right now, uh, I actually had to record all the parts myself. So I, I am a bit of a closet drummer, closet bass player. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't really consider myself a drummer or a bass player, but I can play those instruments. So uh, I, I uh, set up in my home home studio as I often do to make demos for the band, you know, to give them a rough idea of, of their parts. Um, and I recorded this song called Quarantine Road. So I recorded the drums, then I recorded the guitars, then the bass, uh, and then Megan and I did vocals on it. So uh, the song really, uh, is about the uncertainty of quarantine as well as um, some of the good sides. I mean, it, to me, it's it's really trying to paint a realistic picture of of, of this quarantine thing that the world has gone through and, and the coronavirus in general. Um, there are good aspects of, of quarantine and uh, people have uh, often had the chance to reconnect with people who they, they lost touch with. Uh, people, you know, especially at the beginning of, of the, the, the pandemic, when people really were locked inside their houses, um, you know, people were reconnecting, you know, with their brothers and their, and their sisters and their friends who they haven't, hadn't seen for so long. But yet there, there is death, and, and the song talks about that. Uh, it also talks about the uncertainty of the future, which is a real thing. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, the idea is 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 trying to be optimistic about the future hopefully that, uh, that we can all get past this thing together and uh, you know it really just hit me because uh, the coronavirus is really the first time uh, in our life that the world is really going through something 
all together. And yeah, it's, for sure. Uh, it's, just, it's just a, it's an interesting and, and scary time. Um, but uh, that's what the song is about. And uh, I tried to make it as catchy as possible, <laughs> despite the, you know, the subject matter. So it's, it's, it's groovy, it's funky. Uh, it's definitely in the in the vein of the express, uh, but it, it it was an interesting process to put that together. And then we also did a music video for it too, uh, where we put um, we we had people from all over the world send in pictures of, of what they were up to in quarantine. So we actually even had had some first responders send pictures, which was really interesting, uh, as well as even some people from New York City, you know, sending pictures of the barren streets at that time. Um, and, uh, and, and as well as lots of people who are local to us. So it really meant a lot to, to have the community come together for that video as well. And that's up on YouTube too. Oh, that's great. Well, I'll put a link to that video in my show notes, but thanks very much for sharing that song. Uh, that'll be great for our listeners to hear that. And I'm, as I'm talking to you here, I'm uh, looking at that Beatles poster on the wall behind you. <laughs> and uh, that, that to me is a perfect segue into the final segment of the show here. So cool. are you, uh, are you ready for the Stewie Tunes quiz? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, hit okay. Me, hit me with the question. Okay. So uh, who's your favorite Beatle and why? Do you have one who, you know, you like kind of stands out for you more? The Dung Beetle? <laughs> Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, it, it, that's a that's a very good question. Uh, I, although I love Paul McCartney's ability to write a, an amazing melody, um, I'd have to say George Harrison. Nice. You know, yeah, because you know the big the big thing for me with George is that he was kind of like the unsung hero of the Beatles. He wrote so many great songs, and unfortunately, didn't always get the credit he deserved. And uh, I don't think really reached his strides, uh, or maybe was even allowed to reach his strides. Uh, until the ending of the Beatles and you know if you look at the evolution of his guitar playing it's it's astounding uh, mm -hmm. there's this famous story where apparently the Beatles, the Beatles took a train at the beginning of, of their career to to meet some 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 guy in Germany so they could learn how to, how to play a b7 chord something like that <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing so like they, they went from knowing I think George Harrison like knew two or three chords you know, at the beginning of, of the Beatles. And, and, and then if you listen to a song like Something, yeah. uh, you know, from Abbey Road, and, and then that beautiful guitar solo, it's just gorgeous, you know? Um, and, and the chord changes, it's just like, wow, he came so far uh, and then continued to for the rest of his life. And he, he just also seemed like a nice guy, you know? Yeah, I'd say uh, now with your answer there, we're pushing about 70% of the people I've interviewed have said George. I think amongst musicians, George is a real favorite you know yeah um, and yeah brilliant songwriter for sure so what uh, let's move on to the second question uh what's the best live show you've ever attended you know do you have one that you're like wow that was unbelievable you know okay there's two i, I hate to do this but there's two no that's um, fine that's fine <laughs> um a couple uh, a few years ago now uh sting and peter P sting and peter gabriel were doing a tour where they were playing each other's, they were, well, they basically, the idea was that they, they played for two and a half hours straight. Uh, and uh, this particular show was at the Bell Center. My wife got tickets for my father and I to go, which was just an amazing, it was like the best, you know, Father's Day gift ever. It was incredible. Um, so, so we went to the Bell Center in Montreal and watched this show. And the amazing thing was that Sting would get up and do a couple songs. And then Peter Gabriel would get up and do a couple songs. And, and they're, both of their bands would be on stage. And then uh, they'd get on and sing on each other's songs. And then and the, like for two and a half hours, that's the way it went. Just like Sting 
asking Peter Gabriel, then Sting and Peter Gabriel, back and forth, and then together. It was the the most amazing thing. And and those guys at that time were what like I mean they must have been in their late sixties or or even seventy or so, and uh, just sounded as good as ever. So that was an amazing show. Um, and up until that point, I, I I said that that was the best uh, show of my life. It still is for sure. One of them. The other one that was amazing, um, and I left this out earlier on purpose was uh, when I met Dave Matthews and we had the chance to open for him. Um, later on, right before they took the stage, someone from Dave's crew came and said, hey, uh, you know, Dave would like to let you guys up on stage at the side while they're playing their, their set. <laughs> so wow. so we, got to we, got to, we got to stand like 20 feet away from Carter Buford, their, their drummer, his drum riser. And uh, not only did we get to listen to the show from the stage, but we had the chance to uh, like they they came around with headphones, so we got to hear them like their the the, the feed from their inner monitors, oh and we got gosh. to hear them saying like having these great conversations to each other on st on stage. And I felt like I had died and and, w and went back to high school. You know, I I thought I, I said you know my my 15 year old self is completely fulfilled. I could I could die right now. You know, so oh, so that's it was pretty amazing. It was, yeah, that was a really amazing like just euphoric moment. You know, so both of those shows were were two of my favorites. Oh, that's a really cool story. Yeah. Um, so who's the performer you most wish you could see, or if it's someone who's passed on, you know, you really wish you could have seen? Uh, I would love to see Wes Montgomery sometime around 1964, oh, 1965. Yeah. That would have been amazing because I'm a huge fan of Wes Montgomery and just his tone. You know, I think out of all the jazz guitar players, he's got my favorite tone. It's clear. Uh, it's just so good. Um, and just so earthy is playing, you know, it, it's, there's all the blues in his playing. So I love that too. Uh, and then I would also love to see Jimi Hendrix with the band of gypsies. Uh, I think it was New Year's Eve, 1969, when they did their band of gypsies record at the Fillmore. I, I wish I could, I, I wish I could go back in time, take a time machine and go see that show too. Cause I, I love Hendrix as, as you can see. Yeah. Too. Um, that's a picture I drew of Jimi Hendrix when I was about 12 years old. Uh, oh, very but, cool. Uh, but yeah, so so yeah, I, I'd love to go see that too. Excellent. Um, do you have an, uh, someone who you think is either underappreciated or unknown that you uh, think everyone should know about? Uh, me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, you know who? I, there's this amazing guitar player from Nashville who I was actually lucky enough to, this is another great moment that I'm so grateful for. I, I had the chance to meet him uh, after one of his shows and actually uh, the next time I went back to Nashville we got together and, and, and jammed um, but it was more like a guitar lesson but we just didn't call it that because uh, uh, in, in Nashville so uh, this guy's name is Jack Pearson uh, he's an amazing incredible incredible guitar player who unfortunately has really not re received the recognition he truly deserves I think he's the best living guitar player uh, that I've ever heard uh, at least in, in the blues field and, um, you know, amazing slide guitar player. And he actually uh, played in the Almond Brothers for a little while in the late 90s. Uh, so he's, he's an amazing, amazing guitar player and one of the nicest people as well. Uh, and uh, YouTube has actually helped him get some more recognition, but he deserves way, way, way more than he already has. So Jack Pearson from Nashville, I think, is the musician who deserves more recognition. Well, you know what? I think uh, in the show notes as well, I'll put a, a link to a Jack Pearson. If you have a recommended one, you can just let me know later, like a recommended okay, sure. video. Yeah, I'll send you one. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, final question of the quiz here. This is my favorite question because it's just 
you know, fun to imagine this stuff. If you could invite any one uh, musician or band uh, over for dinner, you're having a dinner party, who would you invite over and why? Oh, man, uh, that's a great question. Maybe Vinnie Kailuta, you know, Vinnie Kailuta, the, the drummer, um, amazing drummer. Uh, I'd love to have him over. I've got the drum set, so maybe we can jam after dinner. Um, you know, the other person who I'd like to have over, and this might seem like a, like an oddball thing to say, I wouldn't mind having Max Martin, the, the hit, uh, the hit maker <laughs> over for, for dinner too, because maybe he could teach me a, a thing or yeah, a thousand uh, about <laughs> how, how to write a hit song. <laughs> so that, that, that could, that could be amazing too, because I mean, although I, I, I write blues music, um, you know, I'm trying to write blues music that appeals to the non-blues lover. Um, in fact, you, you might like this because I know you're a big Beatles fan. Uh, my whole thing, and, and I don't mean this in, in an arrogant way whatsoever, but my whole thing is I'm trying to, like my, my whole thing is like if, if the Beatles were a blues band, uh, how would they write, you know, how would they write their music? Are you getting a call? Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I but, just but, silenced that, so. Yeah, no, my whole thing is like, if the Beatles were a blues band, how would they write their music? Because I like, like, not that I'm comparing my myself in any way, shape or form to that, to that, that, uh, you know, that, that type of musician. But, but, uh, you know, to me, it's all about trying to write songs with good hooks, um, you know, so, so, uh, yeah, like good hooks, strong melodies, and, uh, you know, a good combination of those two things. So, um, yeah, I really look up to, to musicians like that. And, and yeah, people like Max Martin who are, who are able to write a hit, you know, I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah, that would be a fascinating conversation, actually, to find out because they probably have, you know, a million tricks that, that they know and uh, just know what people want, right? Yeah, they, they do. And uh, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I would write a song in the current hit format <laughs> or whatever, but <laughs> like, I, I can't really see myself in that format. But at the same time, maybe I could just bring a little bit of that to, to my music and learn something, you know? I, I also wouldn't mind having the, the great uh, guitar player Lenny Bro over for dinner, although he's oh, passed yeah. away, right? But he, he was amazing. Um, I'd like to have a clean Lenny Bro over for dinner, not, not the, the drugs of Lenny Bro. But, uh, but, but certainly, like, I mean, he was just an amazing, oh, just, I, in my opinion, probably the, the greatest guitar clinician, you know, technician uh, ever. Uh, I, I, would, I would love to have him over for dinner if, if he were still alive and maybe we could do some playing. <laughs> yeah, that'd be excellent. I got to tell you, when the phone was ringing uh, in a second ago, guess who was just trying to call me? That was uh, Rick Denis, actually. Was it Rick? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so have you guys managed to, to make any music virtually? Oh, or? Well, we we experimented a little bit, but we... Uh, we decided to wait until the first phase of uh, quarantine lifted. And then, you know, uh, usually every week we'll get together and, and jam and stuff. And, and yeah. uh, this this Wednesday, we're going to record a bunch of stuff. So that'll be really fun. We're going to do okay, it live yeah. off the floor. Well, that's the know? thing. Like for the Express, we're, like, we actually might even have a gig coming up. We're, we, we're still waiting to see whether that's going to happen. Um, I mean, I certainly want to wait until it's safe yeah uh, for for not only for us but for everybody involved all, all the people who come out to the show as well because i i mean that that's it's so important um but uh yeah we're waiting to hear about that so we may actually have a gig this coming weekend uh, oh nice we'll have to see we'll have to see but uh you know um but yeah like you know we're talking about the idea of maybe doing a rehearsal outside uh i might even go out and buy a headphone amp so we could all be in different rooms so we're you know we're social distancing that kind of thing just to try to get together because i i've been writing a lot of music in quarantine i mean I, i've written about six songs for the band um 
which basically we're, we're ready to record another album. Um, but, uh, you know, we just have to find a way to get together in a safe way. So that, that, yeah, we're, we're all itching for that, I think right now. Yeah. I think all of us are for sure. Well, yeah. Lucas, uh, this has been a real pleasure and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much. And congratulations on all the success you've had. Thank you for the one wonderful and thoughtful questions. It really means a lot to me. Well, thank you.
What a great groove. I'd like to thank Lucas Hanneman for paying a virtual visit to the Stewie Tunes show. Um, we had a great chat and uh, he's a fascinating guy and I'm so glad that uh, you've taken the opportunity to listen today. As always, thanks for sharing the word about the podcast and uh, all the little things that you do like subscribing or leaving a rating or a review. I look forward to being able to put out content uh, for you that's meaningful for a long time. If you'd like to find out more about Lucas Hanneman and the Lucas Hanneman Express, you can visit their website at lhexpress.ca. As always, the music for today's episode was provided by my good friend and musical partner, Rick Denis. And uh, Rick featured very prominently in this episode for a good reason. He's a great musician, also a great friend. And can you believe it? We're nearly at the end of Season 2. I'll be coming out with one more episode and then taking a short break before we kick up season three of this show. You can always stay updated by visiting my pages on Facebook and Instagram, but also by visiting the website directly at stewytunes.com. So until we're together again, stay well, be safe, and see you next time. listening to the Stewie Tune Show. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to click subscribe.